welcome back to Beyond the Talk, a podcast formed in conjunction with TEDxUF, an independently organized TED event determined to dive deeper into the talks that you know and love. I'm Erica. And I'm Virginia. And today we are back with Beyond the Talk. So we kind of got to be honest with you too. This semester was a lot of fun for us, but this will be our last podcast of the semester. Sad. Start crying. Yes. <laughs> um, no. So a light spiel about our previous guests. We have had a lot of really cool people on the podcast this semester, which we thank all of them for coming on. We took you to the Beehive with Robert, doc, uh, Dr. Baldwin on insects, and we went inside the future of transportation with Derek and the Hyperloop to Benny advertising to spooky stories with me and Erica and languages with Dr. Pasquale. So we went all around the world and then some, but what can we expect next semester, Erica? Yeah, so we're currently working on the lineup for next semester. Make sure you follow our Instagram page to stay posted on, you know, the new guests that we'll be having. And also, if you guys have any recommendations or topics that you guys want to hear about, make sure to let us know. You can message us through our Instagram page or TEDxUF through Facebook. Just let us know what you want to hear. But today, we do have another special guest in our final interview of the semester. And I will include a pre-warning that this interview is a significant one just because it has later implications for TEDxUF this year, so stay tuned. But today we have Mike Whalen. He's a PhD student here at UF studying geography. Mike got his bachelor's at FSU in history and geography with a minor in environmental studies and master's in Latin American studies at UF. And he has been at UF in the geography department for two years now. His research specializes in conflicts over natural resources. And we actually met Mike because I took his class this semester uh, in summer B and it was very painful. I was the only junior in that <laughs> class. So the rest were all freshmen and we had to listen all semester to them enjoy it. So welcome, Mike. Thanks for coming <laughs> on the podcast. Oh, thanks for inviting me. We appreciate it. So I did take your class called social geography and it kind of sounds like a lot of people might say it sounds self-explanatory in the title, but there's a lot of depth into the discipline that I didn't even realize when I took the class, even as a geography major. So you can kind of elaborate on what social geography is. Yeah, well, it's it's one of those that uh, came around sort of in the uh, 1960s on the back of kind of uh, now what's referred to as kind of radical geography of kind of a bunch of Marxist geographers who came around at that time really sort of questioning dominant I don't know, ideologies about uh, why social inequalities exist, you know, what the role of the state, what the original, what the uh, impact of things like civil rights movement would be on different spaces in the city. But yeah, very much a big part of the, uh, or I guess came about a lot of because of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Today's social geography maybe doesn't necessarily exist in the same form. I mean, you know, when we go to conferences and things like that, there aren't a lot of people who necessarily identify as as social geographers. But I think as a concept, it's a good way to get uh, students interested in, you know, how we look at social inequalities uh, from a geographic perspective and all the things that we can do with data, all the cool methods that we can use and uh, introduce them to sort of interdisciplinarity, which I think is a really cool idea. I agree, because when Erica, as a non-geography major, what's the first thing you think of when you think of geography? Yeah, I was just thinking it was like intersectional geography, so kind of like instead of looking at, you know, infrastructure or things like that as just we need a building here and we need it for this reason, kind of looking like the implications that that will have or how that will affect the community that already lives there. Uh, that's what what comes to mind to to me. But well, that's because you're intelligent, and no. some people who aren't just think it's like, wow, you know where mountains are, and you know all fifty <laughs> states of the U.S. 
I'm like, that's exactly what I did. Yeah, exactly it also helps that he gave the description right beforehand. So I was like, yeah, like, this is smart. <laughs> yeah, that's why everyone assumes geography is. So it's nice to include the human aspect of geography, which is slept on. So does it have at its core like the focus of trying to tackle inequality or is it just like a frame of analysis, if that makes sense? I think it's a little bit of both, and it depends on what you're looking to accomplish. I think there are a lot of people who have a, a difficult discussion, which is should you know researchers be very sort of what we call epistemologically transparent about their intentions, and I think that as long as you're being epistemologically transparent in terms of you know this is a you know Marxist interpretation of these social events, that's way more honest and uh, and forthcoming versus just saying you know this is. A history of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is a history of race relations. It's, you know, you have to look at it from or be transparent about how you're looking at a particular subject. And that's something I try to encourage the students to do is just be the more forthcoming you can be about that, the better. I've known people who are very, very active in a sort of politically, in a political and activist sort of way. Uh, and I know people who like to be sort of removed from that sort of thing. So it, it depends on, on the individual and their and their uh, sort of, I guess, intentions. But in general, you know, to sort of hark on what you talked about earlier, the reason I love Latin American studies so much was because of the interdisciplinarity. Uh, it was something that was really encouraged, and it, I was really fortunate that in geography I found a traditional sort of discipline that, you know, encouraged that kind of interdisciplinarity. But as a result, as you sort of mentioned, there are some people, you know, even in you know my own department um, and in other departments as well who feel like it shouldn't be a very political it should mm-hmm. you know try to have that claim of positivism and scientific approach as opposed to other people say you know we know these inequalities exist we should really try to try to be transparent about how we're addressing them and thinking about them because they are complicated and i think people try to talk about them in a way where they don't necessarily they don't want to be forthcoming about whether or not they really exist, yeah. right? So there's only so much data out in the world, which is something I try to get across to students yeah. as well. I was going to ask you, because geography, at least for me, sounds very, like, factual. Like, there's this land, you can measure it, you cart, like, maps, you know what I mean? But would you mind telling us a little bit more about, like, your research? I see, you like, you said that you did conflicts in natural resources. Like, how do you integrate? Well, obviously, natural resources is, like, an inherent, like, ge- geographical perspective to it, how do you, like, what, would you mind telling us a little bit more about it and how you integrate, like, social geography into it, if you do at all? Yeah, so, (laughs) you know, you, before I get to that, you sort of mentioned something important, which is that there are people who are very uh, sort of scientific, it's about the numbers, but there's a big part of geography, which is thinking more abstractly about these concepts. So you might think about the University of Florida as a campus that it has, you know, a definitive, you know, XY coordinate that you can put on and and map it. Or maybe there's some sort of shape that you can put around the outside of it. But there's a lot more people out there who do really interesting uh, research uh, that's sort of about, well, what does your experience at UF and how that's connected to a particular place? So maybe while you're in Gainesville, you had great times on campus, but maybe you value a lot of the friendships that you made off campus. You know, how does ideas about place become much more, they're much more nebulous, they're much more abstract, and what kind of spaces do you interact with while you're here? You know, obviously if you're in the journalism school, you hang out here and maybe there's a particular kind of culture just like over in Turlington and 
versus the business school versus engineering. You know, everyone can have very different experiences being in the same location, uh, you know, geographically, if that makes sense. But it's about the the culture. It's about the different social dimensions and maybe different political dimensions about being in those different spaces. So there are a lot of people who do think about it a lot more uh, abstractly. And I tend to think that that's the kind of more interesting way of looking at it, how are different perceptions tied to different spaces. But if you really want to know about my research, yeah, I can I can blather on about, yeah, <laughs> about no, that. Yeah, well. yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, well, so, you know, as part of my master's research, you know, I was looking at land conflict and, you know, how that might respond to the construction of a large dam in, in northeastern Brazil, in the mm-hmm. Brazilian Amazon, the eastern Brazilian Amazon. And so it's a traditionally sort of a you know, violent part of the world. So I wasn't able to go there and do interviews or things that I wanted to, to that extent. So once I finished that project and finished up the master's, you know, I was already planning to stay here to do a, a, a PhD, but I talked to my advisor and I wanted to do something different where I could interact more with people and get their perceptions and understanding because, you know, on paper, you might think that something should make a lot of sense, you know, like a policy or an approach. But it's not until you go out and, you know, ask people questions and you start listening to their narratives that maybe they have a completely different interpretation. They have a completely different understanding of a phenomenon, right? It's at that point that you realize like, oh, just because something might make sense on paper doesn't mean that's how it is in reality. And so my current research looks at more water resource conflicts out in the Suwannee, which is, you know, probably like 40 miles west of, of Gainesville. And people out there is kind of a unique combination of forces coming together where, you know, Gainesville has been getting bigger and bigger uh, since the 1950s and it's still growing. And a lot of people are moving out to that area because they like being sort of farther from the city. Maybe it's farther from being a campus. You know, the land is cheaper out there. They can have bigger houses and things like that. But there are already people there, and they live in really rural communities. And, you know, their economic activities involve things like chicken farming, you know, different kind of more agricultural community lifestyle. But when people move out there, they bring with them a certain set of values to these new spaces. And so as more and more... People have uh, moved out to, you know, Suwannee County, Columbia County, things of that nature. They bring with them, you know, they want to protect water. They want to protect the springs. And they see those sort of agricultural activities as being the groups that are uh, taking a lot of water and polluting a lot of water out there. Uh, So there's, like, been a growing number of conflicts between things like chicken production. Nestle wants to open a new bottling plant out there. Yeah, and so there's... Every time there's a conflict, uh, I think a lot more people learn about the politics of things like funding for water management districts, um, consumptive use permits, and how, you know, the application for them, you know, the more and more the science is sort of pushed behind the curtain a little bit, and is more proprietary knowledge is what they often say, and that just sort of grows a, a kind of discontent, I think, amongst people who ultimately are beginning more and more to distrust state institutions, state regulatory institutions, you know, that are meant to protect uh, water resources, land resources, and things of that nature. So we're kind of in this interesting position now where, you know, do we form our own committees and our own sort of collective approaches to managing resources? Uh, Do we try to reshape state institutions? Who's in control of state institutions? Is it large agricultural firms? You know, so there's lots of big questions about that that I'm trying to answer in my research. But what I'm finding is that ultimately, you know, the culture of these spaces is changing, right? And 
as a result, are institutions going to change and how much of that is connected to things like identity? And so it's kind of funny to go back, but during the 20, 2018 elections, when a bunch of ads were going out, so there was this like big conflict over over a chicken farm that went in, in in 2016 and looking at Chuck Clemens, who's the, uh, you know, the congressman on the, at the state level, not yeah. the federal level, but in his advertising for his uh, campaign, he, right in the beginning, he says, hi, I'm Chuck Clemens and I grew up on a chicken farm. You know, <laughs> like it's so connected to people's yeah. identity and being in certain spaces to be part of these different agricultural and economic activities and that spills over into things like politics it spills over into making policy about water and you know should we regulate uh, you know these kinds of industries more and there's a really larger complicated picture that has to deal with you know how global meat production has changed right over the last 20 to 30 years and a big part of that is chicken so a lot of times the sort of narrative that you hear from these spaces is like, oh, you know, well, we're all local farmers, you know, mom and pop, you know, that's what they want to try to endear. But in reality, you know, this is a, a massive global corporation, yeah. but it's all done through local actors. So it's really hard to kind of point fingers at one person or one group when things operate at so many different scales. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the kind of complicated picture that I'm dealing with at this point in time. That's so cool, though. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God, we're so, like, outnumbered and outsmarted uh, 1,000 times by all of our guests like that. And we're, like, trying to think of a question. Yeah, literally. Like, Thought-provoking. Okay, so I have, I have a kind of question off that. So we talked about how, like, geography can be can pull from, like, social fields and think more abstractly. But it does have a super serious like, – there's a ton of geography research that is being done and should be done because it's important. But do you think that, like, when you get the question, is geography STEM, do you think of it as more as a social science or do you think of it more as hard science? Ooh, I mean, that's a that's a tough one. Uh, I think I think for the for the purposes of the department, yeah, it's it's STEM. But then for yeah. also for the purpose of the department, it's also not. I mean, there's <laughs> a I would say there's a lot of people, probably more people who treat it like STEM. It's very statistics focused. Um, there's a whole branch, which is uh, medical geography, which tends to be kind of the a nice little bit of, of both because they deal with sort of more physical factors such as climate and how that relates to mosquitoes and malaria outbreaks. But then, you know, as someone who's maybe more interested in the social side, mm-hmm. it's sort of like, oh, okay, but which which neighborhoods are the ones that have standing pools of water? Which ones, you know, which neighborhoods don't have the resources to, you know, make sure that, you know, they have insecticide treatment and things like that? And a lot of times when we, you know, they, I'll hear these different these different talks from medical geographers, it often ends up being, well, it's those, those low-income communities are often affected yeah. the worst by whatever we're studying because of these different social processes, whether that's, you know, uh, outbreak of things like malaria and dengue, or if that dealing with outbreaks of like foodborne illnesses and things like that, who has to eat the cheaper, low quality cuts of meat? Well, it's usually those lower income populations. So, you know, they're sort of exposed to more environmental hazards, which is a total, totally other field, total, total other field that that somebody in the department studies. But yes, it, it is, it is very, uh, can be very STEM focused. And there's a few people who do like atmospheric science and uh, Corey Matchis is another one maybe in the future. If you want to have her on, she can talk for days about hurricanes. You know, she's a whole <laughs> atmospheric scientist and meteorologist. Um, yeah, so there's there's people who do all kinds of different things. We don't always overlap, but we usually, uh, every semester, 
Uh, we have a colloquium series that everyone's invited to if you ever want to come, where we have speakers from our department as well as other departments, where the, the whole the purpose is to kind of generate a conversation, you know, across different people who do different research. So that's cool. I uh, have I've had Dr. Lannon for Europe, which was a really really cool class, and it was all about a lot about the social geography of of Europe. And also, but this semester, looking at it differently, I have Dr. Fick for quantitative methods. Okay, yeah. And he is who and a half. I his class is very, very STEM, and yeah. he is a big STEM guy. It's a it's a fat triple block uh, where he goes the whole triple block uh, <laughs> about stats and and it's very very STEM. He's also in a very cool blues band called the Bridget Kelly. Band, yes. Yeah, and <laughs> so, yeah, he's a wild guy. He's a wild cat. He's, yeah, he's awesome. We're um, so for our final, we're all planning to go see his band play um, at the High Dive for their okay. like oh, last God. concert of the semester. That's so okay. Funny. But Erica, if you saw Doctor Fick, you would be like, Men, men's a little crazy, but you know what? <laughs> he is a baller. He gets up there and he talks about like our like it, the class quantitative methods. So it's like mm-hmm. social science, um, like how to do research. Yeah. And he's like, you should literally never listen to a statistic that you like read on the internet he goes there alpha levels like unless you can find the alpha level it means nothing to me and he like will go he will just tear everything apart he's like and it's true like he can manipulate literally any data set to kind of like show you how you can use data to say anything you want almost and like that you only know the true nature of like the data set if you are the one doing the data and like what and like what method you use can say it in different ways. It's crazy. It's blown, it's blown my mind. And it's one of, it's one of the coolest classes I've taken at UF. Um, and Dr. Fick is like, just to give you some reference, he says that sometimes when he stands outside Publix and like on the phone, people like hand him money because they think he's, <laughs> think he's homeless. <laughs> and meanwhile, he's out here like he's out here like Dr. Fick like with his econ like PhD in econometrics, like doing your spatial <laughs> relationships and like he's gonna retire this year from UF. Yeah, and the. You know, it's another, I guess, a shameless plug, but that's the cool thing about geography is that he teaches, you know, all the stats courses, but he also teaches a uh, geography of pop music class. Oh, and that's so, awesome. That's you know, really cool. That obviously is like, you know, much more, much more abstract, not not as much hardcore statistics. Although I haven't taken that class, so I don't know. Maybe he incorporates statistics <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Wait, so Virginia, what's your, what do you, like, Thanks. is your geography double major? Mm-hmm. What, what do you like? want to integrate geography into business or like how do you want to um I enjoy the I, someone asked me actually today what my dream job is and okay well I have one gazillion dream jobs and I could never choose one counterterrorism um, as per yeah, Instagram page yeah counterterrorism has been on my mind for a, a minute just because I like all of the it fits like all of my descriptions that I want to do it incorporates geography because I do think that spatial networks and spatial relationships are important combines my love of business with strategic decision making with all of the factors like kind of in front of you which and I do like the, the one of the reasons I chose geography is not only because it's one of my big interests but it's it's intersectionality its ability to be in every single discipline so I really like it for that aspect and in regards to counterterrorism one of my goals is to serve my country in some capacity so I do want to work like for maybe the United States government and be like and work in counterterrorism and fight crime for the United States <laughs> <laughs> uh, in as some aspect like that but so that how all those things work together is kind of but I do give a lot of my engineering friends a really hard time and my about being a STEM major I'm, I'm so STEM I'm so geography uh, it's so funny we have um, for Dr. Fix class we have labs and I'm like you guys sorry I can't I have a lab today and they're like oh my god get out of here and my business friends just are like what, what do you Virginia why do you even take that class why, why do you even have that major so I get I get both ends of the spectrum so I can definitely I totally agree with Mike in the sense where like it it could easily be both yeah, and I, you know, I would encourage you to like, you know, I, I don't 
think off the top of my head that there's anyone in, in our department who would necessarily do that focus, but that's the cool thing about grad school and, you know, just getting to you know, go visit and learn about departments at other schools. Like the reason that I like the one at UF and the reason I wanted to do Latin American studies here is because there's so many people who do work in the Amazon. You know, there's such a yeah, huge group. The MALAS program here is amazing. Yeah, it, it's massive. And then the people at, in the geography department, you know, I everyone does some form of kind of human environment interaction. And that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. But I'm sure that there is a geography program out there that looks at global policy or that maybe combines like criminology and and geography and so yeah shop around it's we don't we don't all do the same thing and different departments tend to sort of pick a focus and 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 do that really well as opposed to trying to do a lot of things not so well and that's nice too when they do that because that means you can you know you'll go there and you won't just be working with one person but you'll have like an avenue of like two or three or four people to work with so yeah for sure exactly if, if i don't make it as a counter uh uh, if I don't make it in the government as a helping fight counterterrorism in the United States, it's a mouthful. Um, maybe I'll be an SNL one day. It's my major <laughs> job. It's uh, the only two options yeah, for me. My only two options: Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live, or counterterrorism. <laughs> a bit of a spectrum there. I think it's also important to realize that right here at home, Mike is a Alachua County resident, an ACR. You grew up in Gainesville, right? Yeah, I don't. You know. I, Maybe it started at UF, and that's why people started saying, like, Alachua County residents. Yeah, but as, I always... As an ACR myself, I have no idea what that means. First time I ever heard that. <laughs> well, I mean, I heard it growing up, but it, I always thought about it as, like, oh, I'm a Gainesvillian. Like, I'm, I'm from Gainesville. And so I, we use that word, or at least I did, but I guess more people are, are common with ACR. But that could include, like, High Springs, Alachua... Mickin yeah, there, that's like on the yeah, it's on the border there, yeah. Perception. So yeah, exactly. So like I grew up yes in within the city limits. Yes, I did. I mean, Gainesville's like kind of interesting because you have the university, and at least like for me, I think Gainesville, I think UF, and like everything's always like in reference to UF. Oh, this is like X amount of miles from campus, or like you know everything surrounds that. There's also like a lot going on around the university, and not like. It's kind of interesting seeing, like, I live in, on, like, West Gainesville area. I think the census block, the census block data will tell you that it, that East Gainesville has, is lower, is lower, lower income. Um, And that it's funky because there is a little, a little area in and around uh, UF because of Shands. That's kind of like a a doctor area, but the other big uh, doctor area is over by. Uh, the other hospital, North Florida Regional, oh, okay. that has a has a big a big uh, cluster of people in the medical field and related stuff. But yeah, and, and it's kind of hard because I think in most people's minds, because they see UF as the center, they think everything east of UF is East Gainesville. But if you use the grid, you kind of have to go like all the way to downtown because Main okay. Street is actually the zero and uh, University Avenue is the other zero in the grid. So everything east of Main Street is is what I usually consider like East Gainesville. Yeah, that's a that is like a smaller portion of the population of of Gainesville because that is pretty far east at that uh, at that point. But you know, as I bring up in the class, like there's a, there is no proper supermarket in east of of Main Street. There's one like right on the border, but yeah. So you can look at lots of other kind of I guess you know, amenities in relation to where they where they are in Gainesville and yeah, a few of those stick out, like probably things like, um, you know, access to healthcare, access to, uh, supermarkets and grocery stores and things of that nature. But I will say too that, you know, UF has opened up a, an East, 
an Eastside clinic. I don't know how permanent it is, uh, but they have attempted to open up a clinic out there and the public health office, which you know is usually pretty good about getting people uh, getting in touch with people uh, who need services and things, is located on the east side as well. But yeah, I mean, generally, what we see is that it's Gainesville has been growing and it, it predominantly moves in that westward direction. And when people come here to live, they if they're working at UF or something like that, they want to live in West West Gainesville. Uh, one community that was planned in like the 1980s is, is called Hale Plantation. That's where most of the most of the the football coaches and basketball coaches and things of that nature are all, are all gonna want to live. There are definitely some houses which are two and two and three million dollars upwards of that uh, kind of size and nature out in out in Hale Plantation, compared to the east, which is kind of an area that is becoming revamped for for better or for worse. But yeah, slowly younger professionals want to live closer to downtown and. You know, been slowly gentrifying that area, for lack of a better word. That those neighborhoods have been have been changing pretty quickly. So okay, I need a I need a disclaimer moment. I'm from Costa Rica, and in my country, we don't have street names. So all of my sense of geography comes no from way. like we don't have street names. That's oh, not a thing. So so all every time like people are like, yeah, it's on 34. They're like this street name. I don't know what that means because I've never train myself to realize like what a street Mm -hmm. name is so it's always like I need like reference points so if like what would be like a reference point to like where Hale Plantation is like near the like it's 10 minutes like from Celebration Point oh like in that yeah that's that's really far in that direction so it's far back there I think what some people are interested to know as well is that like as things have changed over time growing up you know, I, I grew up in the, the northwest side of town, which is, you know, mostly just suburbs, you know, mm-hmm. you know, upper middle class, you know, predominantly, predominantly white, you know, I don't know, uh, households with, you know, two parents, two to three kids, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, public sort of strategically places their shopping centers, you know, everywhere. And it is odd because usually you know, something like Publix, they don't want one Publix to necessarily be competing with another one, right? But as part of, you know, the future plan for Hale Plantation is for it to become kind of a more closed-off community. And part of that was, you know, creation of a shopping center within Hale Plantation. And so there was already a Publix maybe, I don't know, just over a mile outside of Hale Plantation. And then as part of this plan, they built one also right inside Hale Plantation. So they were super close, <laughs> but they didn't want to have to be bothered of going like outside the, the wow. limit, the, you know, the, I guess the, the city limits of Hale Plantation. I mean, I don't want to rag on them too bad, but that's sort of the phenomenon that we see, right? Is that these wealthier areas attract more business. They attract more capital to them because that's where people who have spending money, you know, want to be. So when it looks, you know, things like, you know, Butler Plaza was recently, redone over on Archer Road, you know, and there were a lot of reasons why, you know, good reasons why that that needed to be done. But another big justification was is that that's where a lot of people who live in the wealthier parts of, you know, Hale Plantation and Gainesville Whole Foods. go to. Yeah, and that's why they put a Whole Foods there and, you know, not yeah. a small supermarket and things of that nature. So I think the, the only one Dixie that? left in Gainesville is in East Gainesville as well. Yeah, like, it's, oh. it's right, right, on, right on Main Street, yeah. right on the west side of Main Street. That's right. Do you have any, like, favorite books or recommend, like, anyone who doesn't know anything about geography and wants to learn about it because they 
support academia and the discipline now after listening to this podcast to listen to or read or research? It's difficult to say. Besides you and Dr. Fick? (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't have a book. (laughs) It's difficult because I think as a discipline, most other ones that are maybe a little bit more STEM related, Mm -hmm. we tend to do tend to do journal articles more now mm-hmm. and less less to deal with less to deal with a big publishable books you know in the in the past you know i would say you know i i would encourage students to to try to read some of the the big names and see if they're interested in it so that's why i have uh, students read uh, david harvey's social justice in the mm-hmm. city he's a he's a big name and i think talks about a lot of really interesting things in in geography but he's been around forever he's a bit of a dinosaur um, and I'm sure if you tried to do the readings, you would probably like had to slog your way through them a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. But more recently, and one that I think is maybe good if it gets people interested in geography, I don't really particularly care for him, is, is Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs, and Steel, you know, sort of a classic. He's a geographer. You know, he takes a very geographic approach. You know, critically, I think that he's a bit of an environmental determinist and that, you know, he seems to think like, oh, it's always about climate and it's mm-hmm. always about, you know, geography that determines like human events most human geographers do not take that approach most geographers would say the opposite that it's about social processes and culture and things like that that you know shape a lot of these events not necessarily just climate precipitation and things of that nature but it is part of the equation so but if that gets you interested in geography things like uh, he has a book uh, catastrophe uh, which is pretty long but um, you know it's a good one to get through and of course guns germs and steel is one that i think a lot of people have have already been exposed to. Uh, if that gets people interested in geography, sure, why not? But <laughs> then they come to my class and I'm like, this is why he's wrong. <laughs> <But it's> like, <laughs> yeah. We're wrong with that. Erica, thoughts on geography as we wrap up? No, I'm just, I have an essay due tomorrow and I'm like two pages in. <laughs> and God. I'm, it, but it's talking about migration and the specifically the U.S.-Mexico border, and it talks a lot about, like, the relations of space, and it's obviously a very political book and t- talking about policy and stuff like that regarding the issue of migration. It's, I think it's really interesting how, when it comes to migration, um, the label of migrant kind of takes away the space of a person, so they're not the U.S.'s problem, they're not Mexico's problem, because, like, it, it just deals with a lot of that. So that's at least for, for me now, like, I think it's really interesting. That was like one of the things that I found the most interesting about the book. And now listening, speaking to you guys today, I'm like, ah, social geography. Like, yeah, I don't know. But at least before this conversation, I was always just thinking geography in terms of, like, streets and avenues and, like, this is a map. That's geography. But it's really cool seeing, like, how – I think that's what I, I – mean, I mean, I would, I would say – do you guys consider are you humanities what are you like i know we had the stem talk but like are you guys in you guys are in class right yeah yeah so like it's interesting having seeing like i feel like in class a lot of the majors just kind of weave in with each other and i think that's why i love class so much shameless plug for class if you guys (laughs) want to go into that field but my Royton friends are never gonna listen to this podcast (laughs) (laughs) i love class like i know college of liberal arts and crafts gets a lot of bad rep but i I honestly love it a lot so but it 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 is important i think that yeah when we have like discussions of migration and things like that yeah that there even within geography there's different ways of looking at it right so are we talking about you know, counting people as they come across the border? Are we talking about looking at demographic trends and how they change over time? And then what I try to encourage, like, the students to do in the class is, like, well, 
you want to understand, you know, migration from Central America, you also have to understand the war on drugs. You, mm-hmm. know, you also yeah. have to understand these other issues. social and political issues which are causing people to move. So on the one hand, it's cool that we have things like GIS and geographic information systems, um, which you can totally take a class on in the department, which is great yeah. um, to help you quantify those things. But, you know, on some level, geographers, you know, we still want to know what are the processes that help create the patterns that we see in the movement of people and things of that nature. So. Yeah, definitely. Big shameless plug for geography today. <laughs> and with that, it is time for us to depart for the one for the last time this semester, so be really sad. Make sure to check us out at TEDxUF and sign up for our newsletter. And as Erica mentioned before, make sure you follow us on all TEDxUF social media, on our Instagram and Twitter, and also on our separate Instagram. I know so many Instagrams. Beyond the Talk UF. Yeah, so make sure you tune in next semester. But thanks for listening, and yeah, thanks for coming and listening. And thank you to the J School and Rob Harder for the space. And that is the the last uh, podcast for Beyond the Talk this semester. So thanks, everyone.